Good afternoon, everyone. How are you getting on? I hope you're good. And as ever, send us your comments so you tell me that you can hear me and that signal's at least vaguely stable, etc. I'm making a note of who does that on a regular basis, and they are in for some treats because uh, Physio Matters has got lots of cool stuff coming out soon. So if you are one that regularly tells me that all's well and sends the first emoji to tell me that it's live and it's working and it's kicking, then uh, and yeah, that your, my appreciation will come through in various treats in, in very, very soon, in fact, in a few matter of days, actually, now. Uh, we've got some big announcements, which is cool. Um, we've got a guest on today, so we're going to be talking a bit about private practice stuff. Uh, the mighty Katie Napton is joining me today, and uh, and I can see her shaking her head in the lobby now. She's going to be upset. I'm going to overhype her intro, and she, she's a very humble lady who uh, won't accept any compliments from me, so I'll do them before she comes on. Uh, but yeah, brilliant thinker, someone who uh, I really value her opinion on various things. You might have heard from her at, at Therapy Live, for example, talking about online consultations, etc. Um, and she's someone that... Uh, Definitely, when she when she speaks, folks should listen. She's someone that definitely gives a lot of thought to a variety of different issues, and it's important that we consider uh, not just the clinical things, but also the things, the mechanisms, the infrastructure that means that care delivery can occur. And when it comes to private practice at the moment, very various things are in states of flux, and so we sometimes need for us to pay some close attention to it, which is what we're going to do on today's show. Many thanks to Simon Francis and Jackie Hughes. Sorry, Hughes. I don't know why I couldn't say that then saying that all is well with our sound and that you get in this there's always a slight delay uh, but uh, yeah it's all coming through loud and clear which is good also towards the end of the show if i remember um i might tell you a little bit about this which keep an eye on social media later which is going to be that we're announcing the sessions all the sessions for therapy live sport which is on the 7th of november and releasing the final two uh, final thousand tickets that are available oops See, when I do that, I lose my frame. I feel naked. There we go. That's better. I feel better. Right. Anyway, without further ado, let's get Katie on and get stuck into a few issues in and around private practice. Let's make sure this works. Katie, are you there? Can you hear me? I can hear you, Jack. Thank you. Good. And you, you, you're furiously shaking your head at, uh, at my intro, as ever. Uh, you don't like that sort of stuff, do you? Um, so t- tell us a little bit about, uh, well, I suppose, can you set the scene on why we're talking about this today? What's relevant in, in private practice land at the moment? Well, yeah, I think it came through a number of our um, emails as private practitioners about um, some charges for health code which um, I think probably not everyone knows what health code is, so I perhaps need to inform you of that first. So health code is a practice management software, which a number of physios, and and probably it will be a majority more medium-sized physio practitioners will be using to um, use as an e-billing service. It does do something of some e-practice stuff, but I have no idea what that is. So I've only used it ever for billing um, because you can do multiple billing at one time. And uh, it had most of the insurance companies on there and you could just bill them on one platform. It sounds really clever and it does sell itself as the UK's official medical bill um, clearing company dealing with 20,000 plus and uh, daily, but um, it actually was a very clunky system. But I seem to end up using it myself for just acts of PPP even though I still don't know why I'm still doing acts of PPP, but that's another conversation. Um, and they just announced that uh, they're going to be charging us. So it was free. And obviously there was some cost, presumably to the insurance companies. Um, but they were charging us 6.99 per clinician and then 25p per transaction. So basically this has started a conversation. I was obviously, well, I'm, I'm quite bad tempered at the moment. So <laughs> it really wound me up. <laughs> 
I'm having a few weeks of bad temper. I'll get through it, but at the it's moment, all, yeah. it's all relative. Like you're b- bad tempered for you um, <laughs> is, is is worth saying. Like relative to most of us, you're still mild mannered. Let's. Say. Oh yeah. no, yeah. no, I'm a little bit angry. So you I just can... thought. <laughs> Yeah, go on. You poked the you poked the bear a bit on social media, and and uh, you, weren't, right. you weren't alone in being frustrated by this news. No, and so what I've been doing is just collecting the best way to try and avoid these charges. Um, they then have sent out a further email, which actually annoyed me even more because it made it sound like actually it's free to low bill users, but actually it isn't. So it says the e practice software is free. But you're actually you are still going to be charged six ninety nine per practitioner for billing. So any way of using their system is going to cost you. So we want to try as much as possible to move away from this. And obviously, it also opens all the discussions of the poor pay rates, intermediaries, PMI. You know the, the normal can of worms. But mm. there is certainly ways for certainly the sort of sole practitioners and smaller practice to to avoid using that. But um, I've also been talking to Physio First who have started some discussions but haven't had any feedback yet. Mm. Um, and and they're doing a, a talk on Friday, I think. But as far as I know, they haven't. I spoke to Karen Lay yesterday and they haven't got any more information on it yet. So that's where we are with health yeah. Sorry. Well, it's, it's, it's definitely something that um, we don't... There's probably no need, I think, for us to get really stuck in the weeds on health code because there's some information that might come to bear. But also it's, it's more what kind of worms it opens and it just feels like another another way in which private practice is getting screwed at the moment and that, that fundamentally these are, are fees and charges that assume assume were um fed forward or were the actual uh, insurers were taking some of that on and that you know maybe the circumstances in and around the pandemic has meant that health code have had to then you know roll the dice on this way and uh, trying to then recoup costs elsewhere but it's just yet another way in which uh this is squeeze uh, another part of the way in which uh, private practice is going to then be compromising the fees in which they can collect from from well it's, it's just increasing costs and then not changing necessarily the yield um do you think that uh, this health code thing is just is it that it's triggering and opening that can of worms or is it that there's something more particular here that's sort of a is there anything sort of new to it um i'm not sure there's anything deeper other than it's you know financially based and i'm sure everyone's taking a hit um and including insurance companies definitely um you know with companies going down the pan struggling it's probably the first thing to go and only what is it 10 to 12 percent of the population are covered by private health anyway Mm. Um, which makes me question more. Anyway, never mind. <laughs> I just start thinking, well, why? We could just avoid it a little bit. But um, the, the other thing is, it is there is an issue with lots of people come back to me going, well, I'm under this contract, so I can't. Um, I have to say, I'm not under many contracts. I seem to have managed to avoid that. But I would also have a conversation with the patient. Because if you, the moment you phone Vitality and say, oh, you know, can I bill you directly? They're going to say no. So if you talk to the patient and say, I'll treat you, but I'm going to have to believe it's a different conversation. But I'm also not sure about, I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but I'm not sure they've changed their terms and conditions. Can they force you to actually pay to bill? Uh, you know, I, I would question that. So I'm sure there are kickbacks that we can do. And the other way is, is we will talk with our fees and we just say we're not doing it. Well, there's two things there, isn't there? There's when in contract, it'd be so strange if they were able to move the goalposts that way. Yeah. Um, or if there was some small print in which you know, we use this, inter- as an intermediary, we use this other intermediary that then if they choose to 
to bill you, then that's not on us. It'd be very strange, but it could exist in the small print. But that's one thing. But it's more that there's going to be people that need to know about this when they're starting to, you know, these private practices, especially at the moment, they might be plucky upstarts that are some for some reason wanting to wade into this space that might be then um, not realising that they're signing up to, to fee leaks here, there and everywhere. And sometimes it's the lack of transparency that occurs to this sort of stuff uh, that, that's that's most frustrating. What's, um, before we go into... Uh, the race to the bottom, I would call it, and start talking a little bit about whether these intermediaries are, are, are worth worth the time of, and what what recourse we have um, for for that, and how, and how we want to try and you know. Sometimes I feel I feel that the patients do get caught up in the middle of this uh, a lot of the time, and it's not their fault. They don't realise just how um, how unscrupulous some of their insurers are. But how can we at the moment circumnavigate health code? Do you think in terms of this, and and, and not succumb to those charges? Well, I mean, a majority, so XPBP, you can invoice directly um, using their email. WPA are one of the best best ones. You can actually do your normal rates and email them directly. So most, I've, it's really, to be honest, Vitality that tends to be the outstanding one that is a problem. Um, and the rest you, you can normally get round. I mean, yeah, that's I'm sort of going off on thinking there. Beyond healthcare, there's these ones that are managed, this sort of company policies that have an intermediary. So the Aviva that has Nuffield Fusion managing their physio, that gets more complicated because mm. usually with Aviva you get 10 sessions of physio, but actually if you have a, if it's managed by Nuffield Fusion, I think you get approval for two to start off with and then you have to go through the process to apply for more. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of complications. I mean, my advice to someone setting up now is just just get the patients to pay. Don't get involved <laughs> because patients will pay. And if they can get it back, they will get it back. But if you're offering a good service, I cannot, you know, you're going to get what 90% of the population are, are not covered by um, health insurance. So you, you could, should do okay by mm, getting a yeah, good I reputation. Think, I think that's, that's a really interesting point because I think the, it's become ever apparent when we have this conversation, whichever thing that triggers it, it, it fascinates me as to the fact that we've got no obvious recourse. There's no, there's no mechanism for any sort of appropriate collective bargaining. It only takes for a certain percentage of any given profession or more side of the industry in MSK more broadly to serve those patients at low rates. And therefore, there's no way in which we can exert a market force that would make the insurers stand up and listen to that. And so instead, it just ends up being this creaking fee, creeping fee drop that, you know, it, it, I, I, can't, I can very rarely see a, a way in which we can find a, a point of standing up to them. Yeah, no, I think it's incredibly difficult. And I, I, I must be a couple of months ago, there was quite a, a nasty conversation that I quickly exited um, about someone who was, was taking £20 for um, uh, patient appointments, which to me just is appalling. But then I also think, well, actually, I'm just as bad. I'm still on acts of PPP and they are now paying me less than I earned 17 years ago. So, um, But that's only because some mates were insured by them. Um, and I am going to come off it. But sure. um, it, it is a tricky one and it's quite emotive. So the moment you say, look, we've got to make a stand, we're worth more than this, this isn't professional to be selling our services so cheap, is you get people going, I need to feed my family, I need a full clinic. Um, and it takes a lot of trust for someone to say, actually, if I set my bar at this amount, which is appropriate, 
I will be all right. Um, so I'm not quite sure how we can win that. And obviously we can't act as a unit to do it either. We have to be a little bit careful. Mm. Yeah. It's a very difficult one. There's an interesting point here from Sarah, which is definitely something I wanted to come to. And thanks for reminding me, Sarah. She's said it's on top of the insurers that have been happy to pay for face-to-face -face treatments when patients were submitting invoices, but they're insisting on their own physios taking over once remote sessions had to be done in lockdown. So there was some real uh, sleight of hand going on, and then there was uh, people charging differently for virtual to face-to-face, -face, even though face-to-face -face couldn't legally or, well, at least ethically uh, exist, especially in the stay-home orders. That speaks directly to your expertise as as a, a digital consultant. What what was your take on that, and and did you feel that that was just another way in which it was disrespectful to the the medium of of our expertise being shared virtually at that point? Yeah, I mean, it's just oh, I don't know. It's just so frustrating, isn't it? I mean, you know, yeah, I don't know really what to say. I just to despair. You know, if you've done a skilled online appointment and and the patient's appropriate to them, we seen face to face. You know, quite clearly nothing should be transferred. That patient is under your care. Yeah, with at the heart of that, just because it's. Do you think that it's because the insurers are likely to think that the intellectual property, if you call it that, or the the skill set is in our hands rather than in our heads? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I had discussions with Bupa about, oh, it must have been, yeah, in 2016 about, you know, how useful video could be, but it needs to be done well. Um, and they certainly have always seen it as an inferior model, which, you know, um, I mean, but we have this problem within within the physio world, to be honest, that they still a lot of people see it slightly inferior, but um, it is, yeah, it's just, we're just undervalued as general, our knowledge, our skills, you know, and just the coaching mentality that we can use to help patients progress through. They just don't recognise how valuable that can be um, in a virtual environment. Yeah, well, thinking, thinking about how we could move forward with it then, you've been involved in, in various capacities and, and, and always a, a thoughtful observer of what we've been doing with the big R's with MSKR. And the reason I bring that up is because it, it speaks to a little bit of the clinical excellence work that's been done where we were making a case. And, and, and even though the main argument that was made in the manifesto for reform and policies developed because of it was around this idea of why don't we strive for chartership to mean something? And we used an example across things like chartered surveyors, chartered clinical scientists, chartered accountants in saying that these were professions in which had then been able to raise standards in such a way that then there's a sociological market force almost. It's just if there's a respect there that and there's a collective bargaining that kind of comes for the ride in that, that means that they it's so unlikely that then anyone in that profession of a, of a caliber would accept rates that are low. And so they have a higher chargeable value. I'd say that medicine for different reasons ends up in a similar sort of boat whereby there's just this obvious floor to their fee rate. Now, what I would, what we've made the case for is that MSK industry needs to sort of find a way to develop a, a consistent credibility um, that then means that there isn't, the floor doesn't, doesn't keep falling away and that we end up with this race to the bottom. Is it something that is complex on a governance level and that we do need to do those complex multifaceted reforms that we're arguing for? Because I make that case fairly regularly, but the, uh, quite regularly as well, I get the pushback that that you know enough 
fist waving of, of a certain flavor and i'm probably being a bit disrespectful for, to the argument but it's more that actually it doesn't need to be as complex as that jack we just need to stand up and be counted and it's like well i'm just looking for the mechanism for it i just wonder what your general take is as to how we could actually move it forward am i over over making it too complex or or is it that it's messy i think it is a bit messy so i think the problem is is that if you have your own clients, your own clinic, and they know you, they like you, and whatever you do, whether it's evidence-based or not, you know, as far as you're concerned, you are providing a wonderful service. And I, and so if you ask, you know, a, a proms, they'll be really happy with it. So I think, yeah, no, I think it is more complex than that. I mean, I do think I'm really pushing that people do gather outcomes <laughs> I know it sounds like you know madness but there's lots of people who don't and that you know ideally I think it should be a validated one mm. I'm, I'm still on the KISS principle and, and I will stay there for the moment so I do the PSFS and, and I'm not moving as, as yet where <laughs> <Wow. laughs> Salt did talk about yeah I said I wasn't prepared to pay for MSKHQ so um, PSFS is free and, and really simple and patient orientated but I think we you know we've got to get that basic grounding um, and if we can get that commonality, which obviously MSKR is working on, I think that would be somewhere to, to go from. But I don't think it's simple. <laughs> yeah, I think if we can think then, it doesn't need to be much of a hypothetical. It's happening every day. But let's just say that, say um, any in given insurer is saying that we, we pay we pay £20 for initial assessments now. And there's five, let's just be generous and say it's 5% five, 5 of the private practice profession or the MSK industry, there's 5% of clinicians even that are willing to do that and that they are willing to then scale up their own operations and potentially even recruit some of their, their pals or work themselves to the bone on that and see volume in order for them to actually take on what they might want to, say they're junior physios with, with, the, with, the, with a, a low ceiling to what they were trying to achieve and, and take into their households. What mechanism do we have to stop that happening? If they're, you know, what, what I really struggle with this. I can't think of how we could fix it. There's nothing we can do other than as a quality body of a good clinicians holding together and gathering outcomes and, and not in clinical evidence and knowledge to prove to, so be it insurers or intermediaries, or whatever, that actually getting good quality care pays off in the long term and is cheaper. Um, and that is the only way we can do it. But that's going to take time. And as you say, you know, it is complex. It's multifaceted. We'll have to work out the best way to gather information, which is what we're trying to do and move forward. Um, but it's not simple because we can't stop them. But long term, in the end, you hope patients will talk with their feet because they won't be better if they're not getting the right information and good quality care. A yeah, certain percentage will get better anyway. But Well, I know. Yeah, well, that's one of the things that, uh, <laughs> we, we, you've heard me say before. It's so, it's so easy to be a poor practitioner and increasingly hard to be a good one. You know, there's, there's the forces that, that are at play there and, and the patient care aspect means that sometimes in our game, you've got people that time passing was sufficient anyway and then they attribute the, the results sometimes uh, inappropriately. Um, if we were to then think about how that, uh, that example can can play out there's no mechanism for it as we're describing i'm glad you've not then pulled some out of a pulled some out of the hat there that i've missed <laughs> that that because uh, i've thought about this fairly deeply but what um what sort of outcomes etc 
but people that are against that idea of presenting appropriate outcomes, et cetera, and making the case on a governance level for quality, et cetera. There's this concern that sometimes gets raised that these are just, they're that unscrupulous, that, that that's just an excuse that they're sometimes bringing forward. And that fundamentally, even then, you know, you jump through these hoops and they still wouldn't make the, you know, they still wouldn't flex. Do you see that as being as being reasonable, or do you think that actually that there is a rational market force at play that they would then listen to that reason? I, I guess it depends on how you sell it to them. I mean, we're not going to change everybody, um, and not everybody's going to move forward with us. People don't like change. We all get, you know, quite established in the way we do things. I think we need to be careful. Um, I mean, I haven't worked in the NHS for a long time, but we do get they get. Poor, poor patients just get questions after questions after questions. And I, I sometimes, you know, how much data do they actually need to collect? So I think if you can prove to that body of, do it, can I call them laggards? Is that a little rude? Um, <laughs> try not to be, um, that if we can prove to them that what we're asking is in the patient's interest, then hopefully we could get a percentage moving forwards with us. And I think that would be great. Well, one of the things with, um, with the patient aspect is that I'm, I'm, deeply concerned that the, the mechanism that I le lean on and, and it's helpful because we built this clinic fairly recently and, and were under no illusions that, that we so with 90 plus I don't know 95% cash pay um, and so uh, and, and you know typically um, it's something that admittedly I've, I've kept away from because I, I saw that as being an important part of how we set up the business model here. It's not without its challenges, especially at the moment, but you know, it's something that we've tried to protect ourselves from that way. However, it does feel unfair that these patients that are then insured by someone that they've then, or they're, or through their work, they're often insured say, and it's, it feels unfair that they might want to seek care from us. And we're, we're having to say that there's, you know, these, uh, for, for example, Booper and Axa don't allow for top up anymore. You know, it's not as if I can then say that, you know, well, uh, this is what you need to pay on top of what the fees are that your insurer will cover. You know, you're not allowed to do that technically now. So it just seems like I do think that pa the patient gets stuck, stuck in the middle of this. I really feel for, for them. Um, is it is it going to be that we just we just have to be honest with them and, and, and be, be, be clear? Because I suppose succumbing to it uh, is going to just compromise us, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think in an ideal world, yeah, we just have to be honest and um, hope that, that that can be raised so it can, you know, it can go back and, and talk about the company policy not, you know, being adequate to cover their needs. Um, I can see there's quite a few questions about professional bodies standing up for us. <laughs> yeah, it is an issue. And um, Physio First are involved. I just thought I'd better chunk in. They are trying to talk to Health Code. There is an issue that we cannot act as, as one um, and because of the competition license i'm again i don't know the legal aspects but i mean i would just check that you contact physio first check you contact csp i mean i've had a good old rant recently so um that you know if you've got issues raised but they cannot set a fee you know no. you're being no, unrealistic I, and, and I suppose that's the, that's the thing and it wouldn't be that me and you would call for that even though it's that so Philip said here, just to unpack his comment more thoroughly than I can pull up on screen, perhaps we need our professional bodies to have some balls and help us stand up to the private insurers rather than sitting on the fence. A strong foundation in the belief that professionals working in the profession may help to stop the floor falling from our pricing. Emma's then weighed in saying that's what we've been saying, but got told it's not their responsibility. Really, I thought they were there to support us. Now, this is worth mentioning that um, <laughs> it seems 
trick to have taken for us to enter a global pandemic and for the comp- you know for the for the chessboard to be truly up in the air for us to realize the extent of which or the pressure that is put amongst some voluntary often voluntary individuals uh within within our our member structures so for example physio first is a what was originally called a special interest group, uh, now a professional network associated to the CSP. However, we've recently come to find out that all of these special interest groups, now professional networks, are actually independent bodies uh, that, that then had their funding cut from the CSP Central. Now, uh, there's reasons for that, and we needn't go into now. But what I'm getting at is that Physio First's board is a, is a, is a voluntary body to then assist and promote standards within private practice. Some people love it, some people hate it. I think that in this instance, though, it just seems that the, the complex governance, uh, for, for overuse of that term, that seems to be applying to private practice, not just on this issue, but more broadly about standards. You know, there's been an issue recently like, about how, you know, when Public Health England are co- contacting someone that's been in full PPE and closing, essentially closing down their clinic because of loopholes or misunderstandings from the contact tracers, etc. It's like, who's representing that? And then the CSP are often the ones that we understandably wave our fist at. But what we end up with is that no one is actually, ne- who is the named, you know, I think you, this is something that you've said, Katie, is like, who is who is responsible for that and what insight do they have? You know, I can't, and I, I'm someone that works closely with the CSP in various different capacities, um, love-hate relationship over the years, but, you know, in generally we're pretty cordial these days. But I can't, I'm trying to think of someone either within the employee or, or, or you know, that's it, certainly someone that's, that's paid to, to it's paid, their paid role to, to understand the nitty-gritty of not just these issues we're talking about, but others surrounding private practice. And I do struggle. I do struggle. And I, and I think that that's fascinating because I think about the money that collectively we must spend and the monopoly that seems to occur within that, you know, the, the fact that we're all sort of sometimes just obliged to feed that money forward on a monthly basis, that we might never need them in a trade union dispute for actual uh, specifics on us as individuals. But collective bargaining for private practice seems to be a real a real gap. So I've said my piece there. There isn't even a question uh, associated to it, Katie, because I don't want to just sort of bandwagon you for the sake of it. But it's just that I don't know what your thoughts are on on the fact that, I, that that many do just get frustrated at the fact that our professional bodies don't seem to stand up for us in this space. Yeah, I'm afraid because <laughs> you know I have been one who's just recently sent a slightly. Um, uh, yeah, I, yes, I have tried to highlight to the CSP that I just don't think they understand the financial and the stress that we've been under. The, the pressures have been huge. I mean, I've, I'm now in a sort of, I am the only income earner in my household. So life is different and hard, and I just don't think there's any recognition. Um, but um, they are coming back to me with various suggestions. But so the initial suggestion didn't go down very well, that we can all, you know, go and work in the NHS. Um, so I have just had an interesting discussion. but. All we can do is we can try and, as a voice, keep on, keep on mentioning to them, contact them, try and ask. I mean, I felt we should have some mental health support supplied by the CSP because you don't have that if you're self-employed. Um, you know, there's lots of stuff that I think should be done. So let's use our voice and, and come on, let's email them. Let's contact them. Let's be more demanding. Yeah, well, that, that is what's fascinating is that at the heart of it, you know, in a structural and, and, and sort of constitutional level, 
you know, we are the CSP. It's a member organization. It's member led. We have an elected council, etc. I, I totally get that. It just seems that the, the response rate that, that is required on some on issues like this is such that, you know, those mechanisms, those levers that we might try and pull as individuals or as groups of members, it's, it's challenging. I do feel for them. I think that especially in the early days of the pandemic, I, I was uh, quite impressed with the way in which they were able to rally. And I know they were working all hours. I just think that, uh, unfortunately, the structural vulnerabilities that, that uh, UI and many others have, have spoken about over the years and some of the internal confliction uh, contradictions um, to their to their structure as an organization i think that they, they they've not necessarily maybe you know i'd be open to their their critique of this analysis because it's definitely something that they often push back on but the fact that an instinctive response sometimes to the fact that we might have his head in his hands and be saying that my business is about to collapse through through seemingly you know through no fault of ours it was otherwise successful and and with a the sensible bit of adapting we've been able to get through this if we if only those that were said to represent me would understand this side of the sector that i've been paying good money into for a long time the the response being well you've, you know there's public there's plenty of public sector vacancies right now is something that I can't help but see an ideological bias there that seems to be relevant to the fact that our professional body is also a trade union and you know the macro the the, the large p politics that are attached to that 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 I'm not saying they need to be ashamed of but they need to at least admit those conflicts of interest if they exist when folk like us are having to uh, raise that with them and, and often faced with this idea that, well, if there's public sector vacancies, unless it's a, a gro gross um, job shortage, then it doesn't seem to be something that would be uh, worth them pulling a lever on. And I'm, I'm massively concerned about that. It's definitely not something we were ever going to solve in this half an hour. But um, for those that are listening in, especially, you know, Emma, Philip, any of those that are commenting across various different channels that we've got, uh, this show goes out on if you fancy joining to talk about this at any time then please know that this show is for exactly for you and for these conversations don't need to be you but please do send your feedback and we'll we'll share that and because this discussion needs to roll on and uh, also for us to get responses from those that we've talked about as well but thank you so much katie for raising it and shedding some light especially on the nitty-gritty with regards to health code any developments i'm sure you'll weigh in not just on the comments but maybe we'll drag you back on air at some point as well lovely thank you jen nice one thanks a lot